fine. I'm happy to report that. Um, my Mrs. Wonderful. Uh, can I tell you a funny story before we get started? All right. So I call my wife Mrs. Wonderful or Ms. Wonderful. I got her a license plate that says MZDR1FL. Wonderful. Phonetically. Well, it was uh, two reasons I got it. Number one, I love her. Number two, it helps her get out of tickets. For example, when she got stopped. <laughs> and the officer came up to her and said, Ma'am, what does your license plate mean? She goes, Oh, I'm so embarrassed. My husband got, got that for me. It, it stands for Ms. Wonderful. So the officer goes, <laughs> turns to my 18-year-old daughter, Is she difficult to live with? <laughs> so my Mrs. Wonderful's not here. But she is uh, praying for us, and we, we do have some things at home which are kind of um, uh, a little bit weighty right now. We still have a, a six-year-old and an, an 11-year-old, so life's kind of moving rapidly, but my parents are failing, and uh, we really cannot, both of us, be gone too much at the same time, and we were just gone almost two weeks in a row in September, and when I got back, I just saw their decline, so... So we have to do, re- rearrange some of our priorities and some of our travels. And, uh, and I'm sorry to say I, I, we would love for her to be here, but um, she can't today. So, but she sends you her greetings. If you want, we can pull her up on FaceTime, and I will be shot when I get home, so let's not do that. Uh, <laughs> she's told me once, you've got to warn me. I have to do my hair. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, so uh, marriage. We're going to talk about principles of marriage. And, and what you want to understand is that the principles of marriage are really designed to create um, uh, that are excuse me are really designed to be applicable to multiple settings and believe it or not they're applicable to the local church setting they're applicable to multiple relationships within and without the assembly with your children all these principles have broad application but particularly we're going to take time to apply them to the marital realm, and that's going to be important. So if you're not married, you want to take notes. If you are married, you probably wish you had notes. And if you're going to be married, this is great. So fantastic for being here. All right, so those are kind of the things where we're at. Um, and, and this is meant to be sort of a sort of discussion, but I'll really probably do all the talking. So if you have questions, please feel free to, to ask them. Now, how many of you have ever seen this? Uh, you're never supposed to reference a movie in the message, but... Have you ever seen the movie that quotes this line? Okay, are you ready? Are you ready? Marriage is what brings us together today. Now you've got to see the movie. Yeah, now you've seen it, haven't you? Yeah, it's one of our favorites, yeah. Uh, the Princess Bride, right? And in that movie, there's this great line, and that's what he quotes. Marriage is what brings us together. That's us 32 years ago. I know. What's that? I know. I know. That's what Michael said. (laughs) Yeah, that's us. I was 21. She was 19. Still 19 to me. 32 years on the 31st of August. Next to being safe, best day of my life. All right. Now, what I want to do is we're going to talk about multiple things that directly impact marriage. And in my mind, it's very important that we go back and we talk about the foundation of marriage and, and, we, and then we want to see what went wrong, right? So the fall was a pivotal moment in marital history that changed everything, primarily because the nature of sin was introduced, right? 
And then what we're going to do is we're going to watch how God recreates things. And we'll go to the New Testament and we'll look at several key passages, as you can imagine. Our, our broad strategy is to examine the scriptures and we'll bring it down to a closer and closer focus to some practical matters. So as we're in the New Testament, we'll then start to deal with some perspectives or perceptions. And one of those would be um, how the differences that are between a husband and a wife, spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, um, uh, physically speaking, which isn't too hard to figure that out, but uh, it's, it, it has to deal with our understanding. Did you know in the scriptures it says, by wisdom and understanding is a house built? So understanding, mutual understanding, is actually kind of important, and that's going to be very key. We're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about this thing that I know everybody in here does perfectly every time, and it's called communication. The older, older married couples are going, oh, man, I hate that one. Communication. I have so many stories about that. The couple that sat in front of us in their premarital counseling and they were, it was like they were at a debate. And one would so politely watch the other as they said their piece. Didn't hear a word. As soon as that person finished, this person started up, and they both got louder and laughed. That was a presidential debate, you know. I finally said to him, you're not communicating. Oh, yes, we are. We're looking at each other. We're <laughs> nodding. And I said, yeah. It, you know, what did they say? I don't know. Yeah, we don't call that communicating. We call that being polite. So that's not communicating. And so we're going to talk about communicating. Then we're going to, Lord willing, sometime during the weekend, we're going to talk about something that, again, no one has any problems with, but it's called conflict. Anybody have any conflict once, maybe? And we're going to talk about its resolution. And then we're going to talk, Lord willing, about some problem areas. So we'll go real broad in the scriptures and focus ourselves down to some practicality. So that's the general, general lay of the land. So I want you to turn to Genesis and we're going to look at a little bit of things in chapter 2, all right? Now, I usually don't use an iPad to preach from, but I did this time because I forgot my Bible. All right, Genesis chapter 2. And I'm going to do some reading here because I want to set the tone for what's going on. Let's just read a little bit together. Genesis chapter 2. I'm reading from the New King James Version. I'll begin reading in verse 4. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. Here we go. Ready? This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown for the Lord God had now caused had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. What is that saying? God took care of the gardening. That's what it says. And the Lord God formed man. Now, by the way, if you'll notice, as we read, you'll notice the title, Lord God, is used over and over until you get to chapter 3 when the title, Lord, Jehovah, covenant-keeping God, is dropped from the narrative and then resurfaces when the Lord God speaks to the man and woman. Notice that. You'll, we'll reference that again. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Notice the imagery there. God imparts life. The psalmist says it this way. If you remove your spirit from that which is living, that which is living dies. God is the sustainer of life. That's the point. 
Now, uh, reading on, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Notice it's referencing the physical, uh, uh, tangible uh, senses, which we talked about last night. The tree of life also was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Great uh, Bible trivia question is what two trees are in the Garden of Eden? You say, oh, all of them. Well, these two have certain titles. Now, a river went out from Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads, and he describes those in the various precious metals that are around. But let's skip down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. This is that spiritual aspect we talked about last night. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Meaning there is no other course that will consequence that will occur except death. You will surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good. It is not good. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him uh, I will make for him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground the Lord God the Lord God, notice again, formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Very busy actually. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not a helper comparable to him. Twice now it uses that verbiage, helper comparable to him. And the the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs, which would be the first surgery, and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. Right? Notice the the, even in the English, we have similar spell or similar uh, word etymology of the words. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, "This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman." It's a play on words in the Hebrew because she was taken out of man, one from the other. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, the, the setting is, is kind of unique. You know, the Lord makes a precious place. Uh, there are two notable trees, as, we, as I emphasized in the reading. Um, it's presumably spring. We, the water is flowing. Um, you find, if you do a little thinking, it's, it's, it's conjecture, but still somewhat founded, that at the creation there appears to be... Um, uh, some uh, um, lack of sin, right? There's no, no sin involved. We really don't entrance of the enemy into the scene until chapter 3. So you have to say, well, when did Satan get deposited on the earth? The Lord Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, right? And so when did that happen? It had to happen somewhere between the creation and the birth of their children, right? Um, Cain and Abel, right? So it appears somewhere in there because pre-fall there was purity. It was good. So I don't think that, I think the fall of Satan had to occur somewhere in those first whatever uh, century as it were. And so, uh, so we find that, that there, there was busyness, there was work, there was uh, um, 
get this grill moving here. There was uh, uh, the kind of work where man had to tend the garden. Now, I say this to you because I've met many a young man who come to me and they say, oh, Mr. Steve, we want to get married. We're so in love. And we just, oh, we just got to get married. And it's just a beautiful thing. And would you marry us? And I said, well, I'd be happy to. Uh, would you like to, should we do some marriage? Oh, yeah, that'd be great. And I sit down with him and I begin to talk to the man about how he's going to provide for his wife and family. And he goes, oh, I don't know if I'm going to do that. I said, what do you mean you don't know if you're going to? There's nothing not to know. He has only to know. <laughs> and as I get to talk to him, it's as, it's as if he has this allergy to work. Right? You know, if I go work, I break out in a cold sweat. Yeah, we call that labor. <laughs> he goes, no, no. I just, I said, listen. You need to understand something about work is a good thing. Did you know the Lord Jesus said, my father is at work till now and so will I. You think God's busy? You think God works? Well, I think the Lord Jesus cleared that one up. So what's the problem with work? Oh, I get tired. I don't want to. Yeah, you know what we call that in another language? No, laziness. That's what we call that. I said, you should understand that God has designed you in his image and God is working. The son of God was working. You'll be working. Now, the problem is not the work. The problem is the curse that came because of the fall against work and namely tilling the ground. And so don't get the two mixed up that work is the curse. Work's not the curse. The curse was the rebellion against God, which didn't happen to be saddled upon the planet. And you tend the planet, huh? So it's going to be harder. That doesn't mean you shouldn't work and you shouldn't have an allergy to it. You need to face the music, so to speak. And that's really a big thing. I'll never forget when I said that to a young man. He just looked at me and I just thought his eyeballs are going to fall out. <laughs> you mean I have to work? Yeah, preferably today. You know? All right, so they were quite busy. Now, of course, as you know, there was a restriction. I mentioned that. Only one restriction. That's what I found interesting, as if there's only one thing you, can, you, 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 you cannot not do, right? It's only one thing. That's it. Just one. And there was a certain consequence, and the consequences wasn't time out. The consequence was not being grounded. The consequence was not being... Uh, um, uh, having to pay your dues or having to mop the dirt floor, something like that. The consequence was death. The stakes are high. Death is the outcome of breaking the boundary that God had set. God was speaking. It's equivalent to the word of God you have in your hands. God was articulating his boundaries. God was articulating himself. God was deeply embedded in the relationship with man. He would bring animals. Animals would be named by Adam, which tells you you had to be a very brilliant person. You ever tried to memorize some of those bacteria? I can't even pronounce those stinking names, right? So listen, that, that, it, was, it was quite quite a good thing. Now, each day of creation, God says it was good. It's interesting that there is actually one day of creation. He makes no comment in the text about it being good. And one day where he calls, he uses the term good twice. But the point is, if you, if you are into those details, which I am, uh, when he, everything is really, really percolating along great. And we have the creation of man and, and the um, um, uh, livestock, the animal life on, on, on the last day. And we don't really get the details of how man and woman came about till chapter 2. But everything was labeled as good. Now, let me tell you something. If you're, if you're an uh, artist, 
and you, and you draw something. And other people come up and say, whoa, that's good. But you know there's some flaws in it. You, you know, you, you trump them, right? You trump, you know. But if you, the artist, draw it and you finish it and you feel like there's no flaws in your, in your creation and you call it good, you probably, you probably are saying, the, you probably are giving the right estimate of your piece, Correct? So God comes along, he's the artist of all time, and he creates and he makes and he molds and shapes. And you have to think about how brilliant and, and outstanding it is for him to simply speak and things obey the voice that emanates from his spirit. That's beautiful. I wish I could do that. Room, be cleaned up. Car, fix yourself. Patient, lose your fever. It doesn't happen. But God is doing this so brilliantly and flawlessly. And so uh, I have to say I would have been overwhelmed at the presence of God like that. And yet he comes to a point where if he says it's good, we know it's good. But if he says it's not good, then he's probably right too. And of all the things that happened that day, he said what was not good was isolation. It is not good that man is alone. What does that mean to you? I thought, I thought God was there. Isn't, isn't he enough? Wasn't he enough for that? You see, God, it's not saying that God's omnipresence or omniscience or his omnipotence was deficient. That's ridiculous. What he was saying was, I made man and in the confines of space, time, and human dimension. I am spirit. That's God speaking. I am spirit. And, and that man, therefore, because of who he's made, he has inherent needs. And those needs I can meet by making a partner that would be of equal dimension to him. It is not good that he does not have a partner, a helper who has compatibility, if I may, comparability to him. That's what's not good, right? That's the key. So I, I've met many, many uh, ones who in life uh, say to me, well, I, 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 and they somewhat are prideful. They say, I am going to be a bachelor to the rapture. I said, yeah. Call me about that, will you? Yeah, I'm not belittling anybody that truly, as Paul says, has the gift. It's, a, it's an interesting. When I says, say gift, I don't know if it means spiritual gift. I think just gift gift the gift of, of staying single. And, and Paul talks about the ability to have undivided focus upon the things of the Lord. And that's truly outstanding. We know many men like that. Bill McDonald, of course, and, and uh, Harold Summers up in Canada. Different ones who have maintained that, that integrity of heart. Tom Wheeler, for example. Just I, I have great respect for them. I'm not one of them. I learned that really early on. I was never going to survive alone. I tell you, when she walked into my life, I just went, oh, thank you. That's exactly what I did. Because I knew the need in my heart. See, I knew. Now, think about it. God could see that in Adam. The very first one he made, he could see that. So he decided, I can't let this go. It's, it's a something that's not an e equaling the status of good and of my creation. So I'm going to take care of that. And, and, and he makes and he uses the word helper. Now that's in verse 18 of the text. You can see it. God said it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. What does helper mean? 
Well, that's easy, Steve. That's someone to help me find my shoes and help me get my food and help me, you know, just to get myself ready for bed. That's my helper. No great dumb one. That's not a helper. Okay. You need to understand something. That, that, the idea there is one who rescues, who assists, yes, but in the idea of helping what is lacking. By the mere fact that he uses the word helper, he means that you, men, we have some kind of deficiency. Oh, I know what that is. We're missing that arm of the chromosome. No. Well, it's true, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is that there are certain areas of the dimension in the human nature, human being makeup, that is incomplete without this person. Do you understand that? Please, I say this over and over. When you get married, you are not marrying somebody that is now your personal slave. That is, that's heresy. That's not right. You're not marrying uh, somebody who is your permanent pupil and you're always going to teach them. That's not right either. And you're not going to marry somebody who is uh, 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 this uh, uh, a person that is, uh, you know, your, your butler. Yes, your highness. Yeah. Come on. Where, where do those distortions come from? Well, they come from the enemy who wants to mar. Remember, what's the enemy trying to do? The enemy is trying to take the things of God and so twist them, called talk radio, I might add, so twist them, so that our perception of spiritual reality is distorted to the point that you think less of God and he's trying to steal God's glory as a result. Let me tell you something. Don't let that happen. As, we, as Kevin and I talked, don't believe the lie, right? The lies we believe. That's one of the, one enemy, one of the ones the enemy tries to do. So the helper uh, title implies deficiency on your part. Not that God made a, a, a faulty product. He's saying he made that person with a need, and I'm going to now meet that need. So what does he do? Oh, and comparability, all right? It's an equivalent status. How many of you like dogs here? Anybody a dog lover? Yeah, I love dogs too. We have two of them. Then we have three cats. I could really do without them. But anyway, I love my wife. We're going to therefore tolerate the cats. If only they'd catch something like mice. But anyway, I love those dogs. They're They're friendly. They're messy, but they're nice. They smell like, you ever smell that good dog smell? Oh, Steve, are you kidding, boy? They need a bath. I know, but I still like it. Happy as I am and be that as they may, we never actually have a conversation. Usually it's like this. Oh, you're so happy to see me. Oh, that's such a pretty little. I'm thinking that dog's going, can you just give me something to eat? I'm looking as good as I can, so you just give me some of your food. Right? You ever wonder what that animal's really thinking? I, when, when the mouth of that donkey was open that Balaam was... Right, I mean, that was a shocker, wasn't it? Well, you keep hitting me and there's danger. I mean, Balaam, what a guy. Talks to him. I'd be freaking out. And I understand you. You know, animals will not replace an equivalent comparable helper. Hobbies will not replace an equivalent comparable helper. Other skill sets will not replace 
an equivalent comparable helper. I say all of that to you because over time I've seen couples, they drift apart and and because they're apart, they substitute something they think is comparable with that one person that they gave their heart to some three decades before. You can't do that. The scripture says that which is going to fulfill the comparable need is this other human being. Not a golf bag, not some fishing rod, not some surfboard or hang gliding or parachuting, which I still don't want to do. But it's this person. See, what we do is we kind of come in life and we get our feathers ruffled and maybe we don't die to ourselves and things get kind of rough. And we think, well, this isn't such a comparable, compatible relationship at all. I think I'm just going to like withdraw and I've seen those couples. Over decades, they end up sleeping in separate rooms. And they just kind of talk once in a while. In fact, some couples, the wife lives upstairs and the husband in the basement. And they try never to look at each other. You think I'm lying. That's what I'm telling you. Those are the, some of the realities in the Christian circles. God said it this way. The comparable helper that you need is the one I'm making for you. Not the one that you come up with. Now, you need to accept that. And get on the bus with that, because anything less than that is not what I had in mind. That's a pretty strong statement, I understand. Uh, and, And there's a lot of flesh that gets in the way. I'm not talking about the consequences of our sin. I'm talking about the original design. And I think when we're talking about marriage at the start, I think we ought to have that original design in mind. Now, let's go on a little further. Divine surgery, Adam gets put down. What kind of anesthetic was it? Well, it was phenobarbital. No, it was pentobarbital. No, no, I don't think so. It's probably succinylcholine. No, it wasn't that either. But all you dot, where's my, where's, where's James? James, 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 James. There you go. I'm just speaking your language, okay? There you go. Right. Do you ever hear the joke in emergency medicine? Favorite drug of restraint? Succinylcholine. Yeah, I know. Okay. You know what that is? It's a paralyzing agent. You can't move, but you're wide awake. And you whisper things in the patient's ear like, you know, <laughs> you know what happens if I don't squeeze this bag? You know. Anyway, <laughs> those are sick stories we like to tell each other but never do. Well, actually, I, I can't say that. Okay. All right, so Adam was uh, taken out of the ground, as, as, as we know, and, and which is really interesting. If God can do a complex human being out of dust, what if he had more to work with, right? I mean, that's the implication. That's how powerful God is. But this one person, he takes out of the side uh, the very flesh of another. The only two people on the planet who has that kind of, of unity and closeness is man and woman, Adam and Eve. No other animals had that happen to them. No other plant life had that happen. It was only Adam and Eve. That's what makes them unique and solidly uni- or, uh, 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 knit together for their entire existence. And that's what it is for you, men and women. You are that tight because you have a relationship which actually literally one comes from the other. That's the beauty of what God has done. Now look, look at what, uh, what 
uh, is is uh, associated. There's a unique association that's uh, that's uh, that's with this coming from one side. Uh, it belongs to Adam. I mean, it came from his body. A unique bond. They're the only two like this on the planet. There's therefore unique loyalty and intimacy. And finally, there is a unique marriage. And this is where God puts a stamp of a seal on it. And it's in verses 24 and 25 where it says a a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. Let's just look at that a little more closely. All right. Verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now, leave means to relinquish. I put it in italics there for a reason. Leave means to to, um, uh, 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 leave something behind, depart onto something new. There's a a uh, bi-directional-like understanding to the word. Now, Leave means to leave on several levels of the human makeup. And so I mentioned this last night to, our young, to the young couples that I, I, I tend to believe we're made up of three parts. And Hebrews and Thessalonians sort of alludes to this. But I think it means we, we are made up of body, of soul, and of spirit. And, uh, and it seems to me that according to A.P. Gibbs's work, that the soul could easily be quantified, maybe not in totality, but at least in a large measure, of mind, will, and emotions, right? The intangible part of your personality, that kind of thing. And so, uh, so when we talk about leaving, we're really talking about relinquishing something else, at least in those three dimensions, physically, in the soul, or we'll say for this case, emotionally, and even spiritually, there's a new spiritual accountability. Now, that is very important. When young couples get married, the first thing that it takes about five years for that man to understand is he is now responsible before God for his actions and attitudes towards his beloved as well as towards his children. He will give an account. He will, God will not go to the father of that young man and say, hey, how come your boy messed up in his marriage? No. He will give that, recount, that response. Spiritually, there's a new accountability and a new dynamic. There's a departing from the parental. There was no parents at this point. There was no father and mother of Adam and Eve. God is looking into the future, and he says there's got to be a departure in the soul, What the relinquishing of soul. You, the physical part's easy. Usually when you get married, you usually like go find your own place. Generally speaking, even if you lived in the same house, you have your own room, right? That's a Japanese culture. We love in the same, live in the same house. Uh, Middle Eastern culture, live in the same house. But there's still a separateness of physical things. But that emotional thing, that's the one that, that trips us up. Let me tell you a story. We first got married, and uh, many of you have this experience. When money is tight, anybody have that experience when you first get married? We had that experience, and money was tight. And so my car, which was that wonderful Toyota Corolla, was making this noise. And, you know, I, I know you think I can fix everything and put earlobes back on and all, but I'm not really good with the car, all right? I'm like most people. It makes a noise. I symbolically open the hood. I look in it like I actually know something and then I say with great sense of sincerity and austereness, better call somebody. <laughs> right? That's what I do. 
So it's making a noise. Now, when you're young and you just, you know, said I do and you're living with your wife somewhere, which in my case was in Kansas City, I said, I, I, I called my dad. Why? Well, he's the only guy I know. He knows anything about cars. And so I call him up and, and, and I, I describe to him the problem. And he says, well, you know what that is? I had that once and when I figured it out, it was this problem. And so you need to go do this, buy that, fix it, cost you 20 bucks. I put the phone down. I'm going, score, baby. Uh, this is good. So I go in there. Now, my wife, she's a cross-stitcher. Okay, you know what that is, right, where you do the little needlepoint thing with a thing you can't see, and she's, like, doing the deal, you know. And I go in there, and I said, honey, guess what? I just called my dad. She heard the whole thing, you know, where you got a small little place. I just called my dad, and he told me how to fix the car, and we can get it for, like, 20 bucks, and that's great. And she does no eye contact, nothing. Write this down, men. When she refuses to look at you, you've done something. Write that. How come you're not writing this down? Okay. So she doesn't look at me. She goes, oh, that's nice. Number two, lack of verbal enthusiasm means you're missing something. Write that down. So I go, what's the matter? She goes, well, it's, it's nice. I said, no, no, what's bothering you? Well, you know, we're married. Yeah, I know, we are married now. She goes, and I just thought, you know, as husband and wife, maybe we should talk about the problem first together and then decide together what we'll do about it. I said, you know something about a car? (laughs) Of course, I was being, you know, my usual jabbing. And she goes, no, I don't know anything about a car. I just thought we should try to solve our problems together. And you know what she was telling me? You're still attached to your father. You see, unbeknownst to her, actually beknownst to her and unbeknownst to me, was that my dad was the greatest man in my life. And if there's anything I wanted to do, I wanted to please my dad. I wanted him to think my wife was the best wife. I wanted to think that my marriage was the best marriage. I wanted, to, I wanted him to know that I'll call on him when I have a problem because I, I really love my dad. I respected him, and I, and I wanted to maintain that. What my wife was telling me in so many kind words was, you haven't separated unto the marriage in your heart. Now, she never said all those words. That was the Spirit of God around 3 a.m., that's what was going on. All right? Now, it goes both ways. My wife, she's a beautiful person, and she loved to be with her mom and dad in the house. In fact, she would, she would love just to sit and be in the same room and watch Johnny Carson or whatever they watched, and, and they don't have that anymore. But anyway, just watch all that, and she just loved that, and her favorite thing was to be home. So when we got married... She wanted to always go home. Now, when you're 21 years old and you just got married and your wife always wants to go see her parents, you start to feel, you know, you ever hear these words? Insecure. Maybe a little bit, maybe. Skosh. So here I am. I'm going, well, you married such a fine specimen of humanity and you want to leave me all the time? Oh, I was just a wreck. It caused, how should we say, Friction! There's this godly woman. Make no mistake for the value 
of you older wives that can see the forest for the trees as well as you men. But in this case, this woman was this way to my wife. And she said to her, Janet, the next time you have a chance to go home, don't go. She goes, okay. (laughs) Made no sense to her. So the next time I'm coming up on a week of call, I'm going to be gone all weekend from Friday to Monday, 72 hours. James, we do it a little different than we do today, okay? Anyway, so going to be gone that whole period of time. And so what happens is I, I, I go in and, and I get Monday, Tuesday, through Wednesday. It's now about Thursday morning. I say to her, sweetheart, I'm going to be on call all weekend. You know, it's such a long weekend. Why don't you go home? She goes, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm going, What? No, I think I'm going to stay here. Honey, did you hear what I said? You're going to be alone in this little cracker box. It's literally 600 square feet. I think you should go home. No, no, I, I'm going to stay right here. I said, no, don't make me play the man card now. I'm ordering you to go home. Like I understood the Bible, right? I'm ordering you to go home. She goes, no, 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 I'll do respect. I, I, I think I'm going to stay here. I said, please, please go home. Isn't that funny? Now I'm begging her to go. <laughs> she goes in the bathroom. She's going. <laughs> you know. But what she realized is that she had an emotional tie too. And she hadn't cut that off either. It's not that you have to just take your parents and wad them up and throw them down the bowling alley and say, hit something else on the way. You know, it's not one of those deals. It, it's, 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 it's a sense that there has to be a a definitive moment when you say, you know what? I am now one with this person now. I was one with my parents all these 20 plus years, but that has to change. Now, believe me, when that happens, because I married off a daughter and a son, it hurts us, okay? It hurts us. They always say, oh, you're not losing a daughter, you're gaining a son. That's not true. I felt like I had a funeral, okay? (laughs) That hurts. That's my baby. Tip of the sword. Don't mess with the stuff, you know. And so, so she, so it hurts. And so they're hurting too, right? So they need that interaction back and forth. Of course, we do in an in-law relationship. But make no mistake, you have to make decisions which allow you to develop your own identity, physically, emotionally, spiritually. That's what you've got to do. And if you fail to realize that, you set some, some uh, dominoes up that will easily topple in years to come. How do I know that? Because I did the wrong thing. That's how I know that. Now, <laughs> I have such an effect on the children. Now, I want you to know that when that is done right, let me say it this way. One of the ways you can do this right is, is and I'm just trying to be practical, is, is uh, always making decisions together. Now, when you're first married, remember, you're the closest to the parent, whether it be your, uh, her to her parents or you to your parents. And so usually the mama will come up and say, hey, you know, I don't know if you're doing anything next weekend, but we've already planned an event down at Branson, so why don't you just come on and join us and we could just, you know, hang out for the weekend and go to, to Silver Dollar City, right? And so you, you go, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I'll tell Janet, okay? No, 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 no. You say the following words. 
thank you so much, but I need to check with my wife first. And then what do you do? Go check with the wife first. That's what you do, right? If you fail to do that, what you set up is this path of easy communication that still propagates this uh, inability to separate, to leave, right? That's what happens. And so what we learned early in our marriage is we would say, because my, my mother, she just wanted to be together. Her mother wanted us to come down. It wasn't bad. It wasn't evil. They weren't poisoning and trying to butt into our lives. They just wanted to be part of it. We get it. But what we had to do was we ourselves had to say, let's not bite without first talking to each other. That's really, really, that's a practical discussion of this verse. Now, what does it mean when it says that you shall uh, cleave unto your wife? What does that mean? Well, that means that you will stick, adhere to each other uh, so tightly that you're inseparable. How many of you like furniture? Maybe kitchen cabinets, maybe? Well, the nice thing about kitchen cabinets is that on the outside, they look beautiful. The fine wood, the chrome finish or whatever it is, and, and, and it's really uh, uh, sanded well. But on the inside of those kitchen cabinets, you know what they have? This thing called press wood. Do you know what press wood is? What's that? That's exactly what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Every cabinet is like that. You think you're buying authentic everything. Generally, you're buying a whole lot of money for press wood, and then the outside is nice. Check, check it out. Just go look at your cabinets tonight. Now, what is press wood? Press wood is where they take all the sawdust of the universe and they put it together in this press thing, this thing that presses it together like a hydraulic jack, and then they put glue with it and mix it in, and, they, and then they let it set up and the glue dries, and it basically is glued together particles of sawdust. And then they put a nice little finish on it. They put it on a shelf in your, in your drawer, and you go, oh, honey, thank you. We paid a gazillion dollars, you know? That's press wood. Now, the thing about press wood is that when you actually stress it, it crumbles. Did you know that? Do you ever get it wet in your cabinet, you know, put away wet dishes? and it, Yeah, that, you know what I'm talking about. If you ever take a piece of press wood and stand it up on its edge, and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split this, what happens? It comes off in clumps. A real piece of wood, you actually might find a, a dividing line and it'll come off in splinters. But this just kind of... Why do I tell you about presswood? Uh, because you're stuck and you don't know what to say. No, I'm telling you about presswood because that's that happens. That's the idea of this word cleave. You are so tightly joined that to divide the two makes everything crumbled. That's the definition of the adherence you have one towards another. You're inseparable. To try to separate you is like trying to unravel the ball of yarn. You can't do it. It's, 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 it's just it's interwoven. You can't take one thread out from the other. You can't separate one dust particle from the other. There are no cleavage lines. There are no separation points. That is how, how you come together. Now listen, how does that work? Well, generally when we say I do, that's a great step forward. But it's a lifetime where the adherence becomes even tighter and tighter and more intimate and more special. And you'll have to really cultivate that. It begins at a momentous day, and that's a great step forward, but it is something that has to be continue, continually tended like a garden. And if you fail to realize that, brothers and sisters, then you actually fail to plant the seeds within the marriage that will then bring the strength that you need when somebody breaks an ankle or somebody has a heart attack or somebody gets old. 
This is important. When God was officiating the first marriage, he was giving a message that actually told you the secrets to longevity as a couple. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and and they shall become one flesh. That's the old that phrase. One flesh is the ultimate expression of a new unit of life. When that happens, new life comes from that union. We talked about that last night. And so I want you to hear me well when I say God's first message was profoundly instructive. This verse alone appears at at least three other times in the New Testament in the teachings of the Lord Jesus and the teachings of Paul. That's a very unusual, that's, that's right up near the top of those quotes from the Old Testament that show up in the New Testament. And this one's about marriage. God is ministering on marriage and, 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 and literally his, his sermon is about, what, 30 seconds. I know some marriages wish the preacher was 30 seconds, right? Maybe you wish it was 30 seconds tonight. Well, tough. All right. So let's uh, take a break. All right, we're at a good break part. Is it, yeah, is this the good break part? Oh, yeah, two, let's do one, two more things and we'll stop. I wanted to take a moment to uh, describe this uh, unique picture between men, uh, Adam, and Christ. You know, as it were, in the divine surgery, Adam slept. This is just adding a little footnote to this idea of being one, one flesh. Adam was slept, Christ in essence sort of slept. You know, he was at the right time the, he was revealed. Uh, the, uh, Adam had a side pierced, as it were, taken from the side, unique association. Well, Christ's side was open. It's like our sins were paid through the shedding of his blood, which was pictorially demonstrated in, in the blood and water that came out of his side, right? Adam was delighted. Oh, man, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Thank you, thank you, thank you, right? Well, listen, our Savior delighted in our receptivity into the kingdom of God. So you see this, 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 this thing about the Lord. I, I would be remiss if I, I didn't at least say, you know, this is just not about us. You understand that, right? This is about a bigger picture than that. And, and the seeds of that picture is planted in that first or second chapter of Genesis. We're going to talk about it more later t- tomorrow, I think. All right, let's take a break, and we'll come back and talk about um, uh, what happened after, the, after creation. Father, we want to thank you for this time to open up the Scriptures tonight. We want to thank you for giving us this opportunity to, to meditate in them. But, Father, I, I know, I know that it is the teaching ministry of the Spirit of God who actually does the real instruction. And I ask you to let the Spirit of God supersede, overshadow, and provide oversight in this uh, teaching of the scriptures this evening and this weekend. You make it edifying. You make it lively and real and, and appropriate for the listener and my life too. In Jesus' name, amen.